This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. So we saw as a team that if we enabled and armed content creators with a tool to give their followers a shopping destination, then they could monetize the content that they're already creating Mm -hmm. and give a delightful shopping experience to their followers. Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. Today, I have a very exciting, not announcement, I talked about this in the last intro, but I have a new podcast set up. And although this episode was not on video, which was kind of the announcement from last week, it's in this new little podcast nook, podcast corner of my office. And it makes me so much more excited to record solo episodes, to record with guests in Miami. I'm actually going to set up a camera and we're going to be filming these and putting them on my YouTube channel, getting video clips for my TikTok, for my Instagram. I'm just really, really excited. And today's episode is with Katina and Katina is the first guest to record in the podcast studio, if you will. She brought her daughter with her too, which was really cute. And she came to Miami. We recorded this amazing episode. And it is just the energy of in-person podcasts is unmatched. So please give me more people to record with in Miami because I would love to just have more podcast episodes with them. Katina is the CEO of Tree3. And what Tree3 is, is pretty much a company that really helps creators monetize. You can have your own storefront on Tree3 and you can have a bunch of different brands on your storefront. So instead of like an Amazon storefront, it's just Amazon. Tree3 is a ton of different brands. People can shop it. It's pretty much just like a normal store. Like hey, if I have this whole outfit, I can make like an entire store that has my favorite tops, my favorite bottoms, my Instagram outfits, and it's from all over. And then you can just check out once. So you don't have to check out on each individual site. It's one checkout. So it is a lot easier. But I wanted to have Katina on because she is a CEO that came to be a CEO, not from founding this company. Like she was not the original founder of Tree3, but she was hired to be the CEO. I love talking to business leaders. I love talking to founders, but there's something so interesting about talking to someone that was hired to be a CEO because then you can really ask questions about what are the characteristics of a CEO? What do companies look for? Why do founders decide that they need to hire an external CEO. All of these questions I think are really, really interesting, whether you are like someone that's working in the corporate world or you also are a founder. It was just so entertaining and so interesting and so educational, I should say. And also, if you are a corporate girl or guy, Katina has worked in the corporate world for 20 plus years. She has spent 20 years of her life building and leading high-powered teams globally. So she started at Dell, worked her way up. Then she actually did found her own company and then became the CEO of Tree3. So she really has done it all. She's really into empowering women to really work their way up and become leaders and to lean into your leadership skill. And this episode was just incredibly insightful. So although it's not on video, the next episode will be on video. I'm going to do a solo episode and I'm going to video it. And I'm so excited. Like even just sitting here, I'm sitting in the chair right now recording this intro. 
even just sitting here makes me so happy to record more episodes. Like I want to do a solo episode right now. Should I just like take this off on a tangent and do a solo episode? I don't know. But I'm going to plan on doing the next few episodes, solo episodes. But this episode is just really, really great. And I cannot wait for you to listen. So without further ado, let's welcome Katina to the show. Hi, Katina. How are you? Hello, Natalie. I'm thrilled to be here. I am so excited. You are my first podcast in person. And feeling the vibe is giving me all the feels. Mm -hmm. It's so good to be here with you live in Miami. I know. I'm so excited. It also feels very like this is a very makeshift podcast setup. I was telling Katina earlier, but I mean, this podcast mic is like balancing on this armrest of this like office chair. It's not as legit as it will be, but it feels a little legit having this like new mic and I don't know, just being in person feels better than Zoom. Yeah. Any kind of energy that you can feel from another, another being and another creative in your space is amazing. Getting to walk in here and get the vibes of this space has been really fun already. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get it. Let's we're, get it. We're at the Rella office slash Real Real HQ now. <laughs> the Real Real studio slash Rella HQ. But we're just going to jump right in. We'll start with setting the record straight. So that's where I ask any stereotypes, assumptions, and then I want to know your thoughts on it if you think they're true or false. Got it. So the first one is that being a CEO is glamorized. Stereotype. Yeah. Thoughts are that being a CEO means you hold and carry all the weight on your shoulders um, for every member of your team, for every Mm -hmm. part of your work and the workload that you're divvying out to others. You carry the burden of it in a good way, though. You're there to support your team members. Um, So glamorized, I would say, is as far from truth as can be, but it's, you know, there are parts that are glamorous. There are parts that, you know, I enjoy getting the ability to go out and meet new people and mm-hmm. and network and and even just meeting you has been super fun. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you have way more experience under your belt than I do, but I agree that it's so much pressure. I mean, I have a very small team and I know you've worked with large teams, small teams, but it's so much pressure because everything really is on you. Even if someone else does something, it still reflects you at the end of the day and you're the one that has to deal with it. But the best part about the job is that it is kind of like your vision and your roadmap with obviously the help of other people, but you get to meet really cool people along the way. You get to network. You kind of get to shape the mission and the vision and really lead a team. And I think that's really inspiring if that's something that you've like been interested in. Is that something that you wanted to do when you were younger? You and I both went to universities out of North Carolina. And so right coming out of UNC and you out of NC State, I knew from day one that I wanted to be a leader I started in corporate America with the full intent that I wanted to manage big teams and big organizations. So I started to work at Dell Technologies in the early 2000s, right out of graduating and immediately jumped into leadership roles. And so I had big teams that I managed and learned how to manage at a really micro level. I managed in a call center. So I started at Dell as a call center sales rep. So this is kind of predating me and technology, but it was before you could buy a computer on the internet. You could only buy through a phone number. And so I was one of those sales reps you would call in if you wanted to buy a Dell computer. And so I learned how to manage myself and all of the different metrics I uh, was held accountable to. And so then when I went into leadership, 
I learned how to manage big sales teams to hit goals from like big revenue goals and big mm-hmm. margin goals down to even the number of seconds they were spending on each phone call. Wow. Um, so it's kind of like management on steroids. So I got to really learn under the guise of a big corporate structure, how to be a really good and inspirational leader to young people in their careers. And that was really fun for me. Yeah, that's really cool. Because a lot of people I think, going back to like being a CEO is glamorized. A lot of people view a CEO being like a business owner as very glamorous, like we were saying, and they kind of want to jump into that right away. Like they want to start a business immediately. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Like if you want to start a business without having, you know, corporate experience, do it. But I think some people kind of look down, at least today with social media and comparison, it's like, oh, well, I just need to start my own business right away. Like, I don't want to work at this corporate company. And but there's so much you can learn from working under a big corporation, too. And like, you don't need to jump into entrepreneurship right away. You can do that later in your career, too. Yeah, I think I'm a great example of that. I spent almost 15 years in corporate America, living and traveling in other locations around the world and had the opportunity to have some really big life adventures Mm -hmm. under that corporate umbrella and having the benefit of always protection of a big corporate budget. Yeah, exactly. It's not like the risk is on you. Like, of course, you have responsibility, but like, it's not your business. It's not your money, which does help. (laughs) Yeah, it, it sways your judgment. And so I look back to my corporate years as giving me a lot of the tools and experiences that I use on the daily. Mm-hmm. Now, as a CEO of a tech startup or a restart for us, it's super important that I had all of those battle scars to be able to pull from to say, how would this decision today be informed from you know years of having big enterprise experience? So I'm a great example of that. I do see though young entrepreneurs that have done the opposite mm-hmm. and fly so quickly And so there's the path for everyone. Yeah, no, definitely. And that kind of leads me to the next one, which is that great leaders are born and not made. Ooh, I think there's part truth in this. Mm -hmm. I think great leaders are part of your nature. Mm -hmm. I have my 17-year-old daughter, Nina, here with me today in the studio. We literally were talking about this yesterday, about what it is to be a natural leader Mm -hmm. and to lean in in your early years of your career to lean into your natural leadership style. Mm. So what comes naturally to you? Are you a direct communicator? Are you a listener first and then you communicate after thoughtful consideration? Like what comes naturally to you as a leader? I think it is part of who you are. I think you're born with it. I Mm -hmm. think what you do though over the years through management experiences, through successful opportunities, through not successful ventures, you learn how to adapt your style and you Mm -hmm. adjust your style according to the environment that you're in or even the teams that you're managing. Yeah. I think that that's important to know also because some people think, okay, like leaders are only one way. You know, like you'll read a book by someone, you're like, oh, they woke up at 5 a.m. They are very direct and stern. They do this, 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 and this. Even if that's not their natural style, they want to emulate that because they like look up to that person as a leader or as a boss or a CEO. But like you were saying, everyone has different styles and I don't think there's a right answer. There are really, really successful companies run by such different people and there's no roadmap, which makes it challenging because I think that's also why being a CEO is not glamorous because you really have to 
forge your own path and make your own roadmap. And you can't just, of course, you can look at other people's as mentors and, you know, kind of look at their stories for inspiration. But at the end of the day, you are on your own. And whatever you do, there's no right or wrong way, I think, to lead a company. Yeah. And I think it depends on the industry that you're leading in mm-hmm. and who you are as a leader. Right. 100%. As female CEOs, especially in the tech space that you and I both are in, and being that we are honoring creators, we're honoring creatives that are seeing technology as a path for them you know, to either do what they love and that they dream about. And mm-hmm. so I think I lead differently at Tree 3 than I did in my corporate life. Totally. And I think that that's, that's okay and it's good and it takes really strong leaders to be able to adjust their style to the industry that they're supporting, the team around them, the customers that they're supporting. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage, because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz-free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet, Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard earned cash when I need it most. 
Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. And then the next one is that networking is a skill every successful person needs to master. I think of it less as networking as being present in your world. So Mm -hmm. when you, I think of networking as like as simple as when you're having coffee or you're available and around your kids' sports events, or if you are pitching your company to a venture capital firm, it's however present you are to the people that you're engaging with. Mm -hmm. Finding something unique about them. Is there a connection you have on a human level? That's why networking is a human connection, not driven through an algorithm or artificial intelligence, right? We aren't match made in that way. Right. I totally agree. I mean, especially, I mean, there are great ways to network now with meeting people all over the world, but I think there's just something special about being able to meet in person and like connect with someone. And I think that's why like when people say it's all about who you know in business, as unfair as sometimes it sounds, I definitely agree with that, that who you know is really, really, really important. But I think that you can build your network. Like you do not need to have a pre-existing network. You can build it by just having conversations with people and like by meeting people, whether it's online or offline. But there's just something about being in person that like you can sense if you trust the person a bit more, you can sense their style a bit more, you can sense if they're aloof, if they're not like, are they, I don't know, there's just so much more that you can tell. And I agree that it's really about just being present and having a conversation and like, I know this sounds funny, but like vibing with the person. Like it's like that's at the end of the day what I think networking is. And even one of your previous podcasts that I listened to when you talked about when you were going through your raise Mm -hmm. for Rella, how you focused on things that were unnatural to you, but that you were learning around the way. I mean, I remember you talking about Twitter Mm -hmm. and how Twitter was a really active place for investors to learn about tech startups. And I was like, that was brilliant. So anyway, that was virtual and I wasn't meeting you at the time, but it was something I learned from you even just through your own podcast. I want to kind of go back now to your career because I think that you have a really cool career. You've done so many different things. And I know that you started at Dell. You started in the corporate world at that call center and doing sales. Did you have like a timeline in mind of, okay, I'm going to work here for 15 years and then I'm going to go and do my own thing. Did you have milestones you wanted to reach or when did you know it was time to take that leap and leave Dell? Like the corporation served you, you know, or you learned a lot from it to do your own thing. You know, it really, it was intentional. I was successful in the corporate space and I loved it. I didn't see things like building relationships or networking in a corporate world to be inauthentic. Mm -hmm. I actually leaned into it and I thoroughly enjoyed the relationships and the people that I met in my corporate journey. I did know though, I had great mentors at Dell through the years, incredibly successful female sales leaders who I had the privilege of reporting to, who told me that the moment that I felt I was serving more than being supported and served, 
it was time. Mm-hmm. And so I had the opportunity to leave in a great way. There was a, a you know amicable separation and the timing was right. It also introduced me to the idea of starting my own company. So I had the opportunity at Dell to open call centers in Latin America. So the call center I supported and opened was in El Salvador. So I lived and worked there. Again, super cool cool. opportunity. And I did that for four years, young in my career. I had both of my kids while I was overseas. And that brought the opportunity to us, to two of my Dell co-founders at the time, to start Aplato Studios, which is a software development company. We're based in El Salvador, but we saw this massive access to tech talent mm-hmm. in Latin America that was untapped. Yeah. Wow. And you were working for Dell. Did you quit right after that and start it or did you do them simultaneously? I actually came back to Dell from my El Salvador days and went back to the US and supported Dell's enterprise group on the sales side. So I had a couple years even after my time in living overseas before we started Aplato. It's now over a thousand software developers and UX UI designers. And we support customers in the US, big enterprises that need software support. Yeah. That's crazy how you had that idea and you didn't act on it until a few years later. And you know, it literally, it hit us, it hit us on the side of the head. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was supporting enterprise sales at the time. And my big global clients would ask me, hey, it's great that Dell has hardware and servers and storage and all these solutions and peripherals. Do you have mobile developers? And after like the fifth client, I was like, huh, I think big enterprises in the US need mobile app developers. Mm -hmm. And so we had the opportunity to be able to find that talent in Latin America and serve them. And so from Maplato over the last several years, I had the opportunity to become a, a support system. I'm based in Austin, Texas for companies just getting their start. I was supporting those entrepreneurs, largely female entrepreneurs who were trying to get their butt in the door in the tech world. And I loved it. I was Mm -hmm. a mentor. I supported local incubators and accelerators in Austin and just really loved being able to support them as they were designing their products and trying to bring them to market. So how many years were you at Aplato? And when did you transition to your next role after that? So Aplato has been around for about 10 years now. Mm -hmm. So we're thrilled at that. I a couple of years ago, had the opportunity to allow a new management team to come and support us at the Aplato offices, and they've done a phenomenal job. And I will tell you, it also was a gut check yeah. to know that and to feel confident that others could do what we had built better. Yeah. How do you make that decision? Because that's, I mean, that was your baby, you know, it like was. you built this thing and then you grew it and now you're giving it to someone else. You know, it actually came from when we were attempting to raise some money a few years back, we brought on a couple of strategic investors and they looked us in the eyeballs and said, is this thing that you've developed because of you guys, because of you guys as co-founders and Mm -hmm. and leaders, is that the special sauce or is there something replicable here? Meaning if you all went away, would this still continue to be a hyper growth company? Mm Mm-hmm. And so we challenged ourselves to bring in a leadership team that could take us to the next level. And I will tell you, the existing leadership team of Aplato has made better decisions than we ever would have as co-founders because we were blinded, I believe, by our baby. 
Yeah. And so this leadership team has overinvested, I would say, in all the right ways and culture and people. And that's why I think we've had the successful growth we have. Are you still at Applato at all? Or I'm you- not. Okay. So you have like fully removed yourself from it. Yep. And then when did you transition to your next role? So Tree 3 came along almost a year ago through an opportunity. I was connected through a women in tech organization in Austin. And Tree 3 is a relaunch. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I wanted to ask about the pivot and the what a relaunch looks like for yeah. a business like that. So about five years ago, Tree 3 came to market with a patented technology around, and this is where we're going to geek out for a second, <laughs> uh, robotic process automation. So RPA tech that was architecting how to shop multiple retailers in a universal cart. And okay. so these patents provided the architecture of how to do so with some pretty innovative technology approaches. And at the time, Tree3 focused on educators, which is wonderful and teachers rule the world. And I hope all of you listening will consider being a teacher (laughs) one day, but focused on educators where the intent was that if educators set up their own storefronts, they could stock their classrooms. Mm -hmm. And In partnership with Clorox, Tree3 enabled about a million dollars in merchandise to classrooms around around the U.S. And this is right during the pandemic and came at a beautiful time for classrooms and for students and for teachers. But what Tree3 realized is that teachers are driving shoppers only a couple times a year. Right. And so there was a pivot. There was a pivot into how can we use this technology for other use cases? And I joined the company in April of 2022, and our go-to-market was all around the creator economy. Mm -hmm. So we saw as a team that if we enabled and armed content creators with a tool to give their followers a shopping destination, then they could monetize the content that they're already creating Mm -hmm. and give a delightful shopping experience to their followers. If you wanted the whole outfit of the day, instead of being redirected to Nordstrom for your shoes and um, anthropology for your joggers and your top at Target, you could buy the whole look in one universal cart. So that's been really the underpinning of our go-to-market these last few months. And so we launched beta in July of last year. And now we've really come to market strong the last, probably the last 60 days we've had, you know, the most groundswell of of our support. So that's awesome. Our creators are what, you know, we focus on and we're giving them a way to monetize what they're already really great at, which is developing great content. How did you make that pivot? Was the pivot happening before you got there or was it after you came in knowing that this was the new direction? The founders believed it. They saw it. They saw that the pivot was necessary and they particularly came to market to look for a CEO that could marry together fashion, shopping, and tech. And so it was brilliant that I like to think that I could hit and have a passion around all three of those. I usually only talk on this podcast. I've spoken with a lot of founders and a lot of CEOs, but a lot of times they're both the founder and the CEO. So they started it from the beginning. They kind of like naturally became the CEO because they were the founder of the company, similarly to what I'm doing at Rella. What is the process of interviewing for a CEO? How do you become a CEO of a company that you did not found? So it was birthed out of networking. 
So when you said is networking, you know, something that is a requirement, it got me this job. So Mm -hmm. I had networked with one of the board members of Tree3 and they recommended me for this opportunity. And then the series of interviews were interviews. They were conversations with the three co-founders of Tree3 and they wanted to understand my technical chops, number one. Like, did I have the ability to be able to speak the technology, to know it credibly and to be able to represent it to future investors and to be able to sell it with integrity and sell it with what the technology is today. But they also very much wanted to know, did I have a vision for how the technology and what the use cases could be applied outside of shopping, outside of creators. And so that was really probably the number one thing they were assessing. Mm-hmm. Number two was cultural fit. Did I represent for them the figurehead leadership that they needed to be able to take and build a team from scratch? Yeah. And how do you build a team from scratch? What do you look for? Do you do any prep work beforehand, like to see, you know, coming up with your culture and your values or how do you go into it? How do you decide who the first person to hire is? Like what's the nitty gritty on building teams? Yeah. I look at it as you find the first hire needs to be what you are not. Okay. So when you're a one or two or five person team, those first few hires have to complement you and be something different than Mm -hmm. what you bring to the table. My first hire was our chief creative officer. Ashley Butcher was my, um, she had known the platform before it was a creator platform. She knew it when it was the focused on educators and she helped design and architect it. So she was my first hire, but really rehire. And then she helps lead the product division. She is a very successful personal shopper and stylist in the Dallas area. And she knows how to curate styles Mm -hmm. and looks. And she knew exactly what she wanted the product to look like and how it needed to serve creators. Was it like a job application that you put out or you met her and you knew she would be a good fit? Yeah, we knew she'd be a good fit. And then every other hire since has been through our network. Mm -hmm. I've always said that networking is so important because of that reason too. So for us, we're a five-person team. Actually, we're this week we're a six-person team. We just hired someone. Yes. And actually a developer from Latin America. Oh, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We didn't go through an agency. We went through a referral, but we know that there's like a lot of talent there. But side note, we're a six-person team and every single person that we've ever hired has been through our network. Like even this Latin American developer. I knew another startup founder and I asked him if he had any front-end developers that he would recommend from Latin America. Yep. And he did. And that's how we connected. And every other person has been with us from the beginning and not a single person on the team was hired through a job application. Even though we've put out job applications in hopes that, you know, maybe we'll find someone, it never comes out of that. Like there's so many people you have to sort through And a lot of times it's not really who you're looking for. But when you meet someone in person, when you trust them, when you have a referral from someone else, it's just so much better and easier to see if they're a good fit. You just get to know them in a much better way. And you get to kind of see if they can work well together with you. Because I think being a cultural fit is just as important as the technical skills, if not more important, because you can learn skills, but you can't just adapt to a culture if that's just not innately who you are, I think. Which is also unique when you're a fully remote team. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, so yeah. you were even sharing with us that Rella's offices here were an important next step for you and your co-founder, Connor. And who's your other third? Nick. He's and in Nick. Wilmington. Okay, we haven't met Nick yet. Uh, but for you, Nick and Connor, to be able to work in a place where you can be highly productive and efficient 
Yep. Um, and that is, that is something I'm super mindful of having a fully remote team. Yeah. How do you build culture being remote? What are some things that you do? Do you guys have like fun Zoom calls or like, what are some of the things that you do? We do. We do have the fun Zoom calls. Even for Christmas, we did like movie trivia and, you know, had some custom craft cocktails that were delicious and yummy that we all enjoyed remotely. But no, but you have to be mindful of that. You have to be intentional about planning ways for your team to connect and to relate with one another. Our goals are that we're meeting as a management team at least once every six weeks. And so a lot of in person, a lot of that is centered around our board meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're doing board meetings. We're in a hyper growth period for our company as well. We have a super active and illustrious board. And so we want to take full advantage of what they can bring to the table. So we meet as a board in person every quarter. And largely we tie our management meetings to those same time periods so that the management team also has the opportunity to build relationships directly with the board. So it's not just me as the CEO interacting with the board. Mm -hmm. We try to do that as well. Every other month, Connor and I will go to North Carolina or the team in North Carolina will come down here every other month. So not one person's flying every month, but right. it's more more so like every six weeks. It doesn't really happen every four weeks, but that's so important for us too, because we want to have a dedicated week where we're in person working nonstop, getting, you know, if we need to pivot on anything, coming up with new ideas, coming looking at the roadmap, like in person, there's just something so valuable about it. And so it's a priority for us to do that too. And it's a good way to maintain relationships. Like with our team, like we want to, we're very personal. We're such a small team. They've been with us for so long that it doesn't feel like an employee relationship as much as it does like a really tight knit unit, I would say. I would love to ask you too, when, just because you said roadmap, when you were in your early days of Rella and you were getting massive attention mm-hmm. and you were getting that attention from your users and you guys grew to like what? Thousands of creators within your first few months. Mm-hmm. How did you manage accepting and receiving all of the different inputs and feedback, both from you and your teams, but also from the creators? So that was actually really interesting because in the beginning, we had a roadmap where we're like, this is what we're going to do yep. like a year from now. I think a year roadmap is a little too far for us now because things change so rapidly. So we look at things in quarters now. We are always on user calls. So we are doing calls with users every week, multiple times a week. Like we talk to so many users, people that have used us once and never used us again, people that use us every single day, people that have used us like a few times every now and then. We try to talk to as many people as possible and just instead of hearing, what do you like? What do you not like about Rella? Or, hey, what feature would you like to see? Or what, you know, asking specific questions like that. We ask mainly about their problems and what their workflow is like. We honestly don't, like, yes, of course, we ask very specifics about Rella too, but that's not the whole conversation. The conversation is also centered around their pain points, their workflow aside from Rella. Like, I don't want to talk about Rella because usually what I've seen is when people tell you, I wish this was a thing or I wish this feature was around, they don't actually, sometimes they don't actually mean it. They think that they want that, but it's up to you to kind of take their problem and figure out a solution for it. That makes sense. I always think back to like people complaining about Instagram for so long about the algorithm and people are like, I want chronological order back. I want the chronological feedback. When are we going to get that? And then Instagram gave it back as an option. You hit like your top left corner Mm -hmm. and you can hit following and then it's in chronological order. I don't know anyone that uses that feature 
And every single day, people complain about the algorithm and how they want chronological feedback. But they really don't because it's an option and no one's using using it. it. And so that's why it's not necessarily like, what feature do you want? It's more of, okay, how are you using this? What's preventing you? When you open up, when you think about your workflow and you're starting to work on social media stuff, like what's the first thing that you do? Or what's really annoying? Or what's, you know, it's more broad questions rather than, Okay, so with Rella, when you click on the new post screen, like, what do you like about it? Because like, then they're kind of, a lot of times they're not really being truthful, even if they think that they are. Or like, you have to kind of figure out the problem and like, come up with the solution, I think. It's a brilliant approach. And in my experience through software development as well, in my previous life, helping and coaching clients to do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Don't build software in a vacuum 12 months out that you thought your users would care about, but identify their pain points. Now we see it at tree three where we are constantly developing the shopping experience. And we know that we are changing how followers of their beloved creators, how they shop. Mm -hmm. And we're literally watching their clicks and their movements as they're engaging with the platform and using that to inform how we better build collections with our creators. So the creators can be more supportive of their followers to say, Hey, if you loved my whole outfit, or if you loved the office setup I had today, Mm -hmm. you know, here's how you can go get all of that for your home office. Yeah. And a lot of times what you think creators do are is like so different than what they actually do or what you think they will do. And I've noticed like we have Amplitude, which like tracks your data, like what tracks, you know, events that are going on on the app or like what people are clicking on the funnel of like conversions, all of this stuff. But what I've realized is, and what I've learned is data is great. I like looking at that. We have like weekly meetings where we are taking a look and making sure that like things are moving in the right direction. But talking to actual users like Mm. face-to-face or like on Zoom or whatever it is, is so much better because you actually see like their emotion behind it and you see what actually is bothering them or what they actually like, what they actually don't like, how they're using it, how they feel about it. Versus you're kind of guessing when you see data, you're kind of guessing with what they're doing. Like, oh, yeah, people are using that a lot. It must be because of X, Y, Z. But like, you don't actually know that unless you're talking to them. So I think if you have 10,000 data points, but you can talk to 10 people, I think talking to 10 people is better than 10,000 data points. That's really good advice. Like, I really think, especially in the early days, I don't know what it's going to be like when we grow. Like, right now, I can only speak to the start. But right now at the start, it's really helpful to talk to people. And how do you convince them to meet with you? Like, what's your hook? Yeah, we send emails. So for power users, which is users that are using us like multiple times a month or multiple times a day, multiple times a month, like all they're using us consistently. They're constantly coming back to us. We have emailed them and just been like, we really appreciate you being a power user, like happy to chat people that have churned, they're not really going to want to talk to you right. because they don't have any connection to you. So we'll offer them gift cards, Okay. which now I think we're offering pretty much like almost everyone gift cards at this point. Yeah. We're offering $25. So it's not like we're not offering like a hundred bucks or anything yeah. like that, but enough to get people to sign up and we'll send it an email blasts. We'll mainly email has been the best way. And through Amplitude, I can see like who has churned. So who doesn't use us anymore? Or if someone's using a certain feature that we want feedback on, yep. I can like download all those users, get their emails and send those people specific emails. So I've done that a lot too. So it's instead of like just a mass email to everyone, I specifically know which type of person I want to ask questions to. So I'll go in Amplitude and like get that data and then email them. Very smart. We are also looking at creating a tree three like advisory Mm -hmm. council where we can invite some of our early adopters to the platform 
so that they can help us shape mm-hmm. as the technology changes. Um, they can help us shape that. But it's been something that we're working on. We would love to, you know, it would be great to share with you as we roll that out. Yeah. Uh, what that looks like. No, that'd be awesome. I mean, I now appreciate people that talk to us about Rella and like give us feedback, even if they are not a user, even if they hate Rella and they like don't use it anymore, they are using something else. I am so appreciative of them talking to us. So like I like now when other startups ask for my feedback, I willingly give it. And I'm like super honest because I think at first it's easy to be like, oh, I don't want to be mean. I'm not going to be like rude. So I'm just going to say that I like it. But it's so much better. Like when people tell us like, no, I don't like it because of this. I'm like, thank you. Like that is so helpful. Like, please be honest because it's so much more valuable than just lying. And because then we can't improve. So do you have time anymore to be a creative yourself? I do. I still post on YouTube. I try to post twice a week on YouTube. It's more like once a week for the most part, but I do try for twice a week. And then I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. And I do try to like plan ahead. I use Rella, obviously, to plan everything and like organize everything. But it's folks around my life. So I'm not setting aside time mm-hmm. to like film a video. The only thing I set aside time for is like podcasts like these. Like this is like, okay, an hour dedicated to this, but I have like a podcast network. So I don't edit it. I don't, you know, okay. so like... I do outsource some things. My videos, I have an editor. I edit some videos, but for the most part, I'll outsource that. So a lot of it just is centered around my life, which is really nice. Yeah, but now I'm switching back. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I got a little mini podcast in here. (laughs) I wanted to ask about, because I know that you have a lot of experience in the corporate world. You were hired to be the CEO of this company. You are someone that's worked your way up. You really are like the ideal, like you started at the call center you've worked your way up to CEO. Do you see now in like this new generation of people and, you know, have you heard of quiet quitting? I don't know if you've heard of that term. (laughs) Yes. Like what are your thoughts on kind of the way people approach growing at a company or, you know, moving on upwards today? Because I think a lot of the conversation is centered around like quiet quitting, not doing, doing the bare minimum. I don't want to work at a corporation. Like, just what's your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's all employee engagement. Mm-hmm. We, as leaders of big companies, as startups, have to identify what is the employee motivation, what is the employee's interest in being part of the organization, and how do they show up? Mm-hmm. And all of those are employee engagement scores, mm-hmm. your response time your willingness to work outside of maybe standard business hours, your willingness to take on projects that are not part of your job description. All of those are indicators of an employee's engagement. There's a really good book you should read. It's called Nine Lies About Work or the Nine Things. I'll send it to you. Nine Things They Tell You About Work. But it's written by two Harvard Business School professors. And the whole premise is how do you identify when employees feel like they're part of something and what are those measurements? Mm -hmm. And they're largely Mm team-based. So in my day, in my early career, it was people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And that was so hard to hear as a young manager when you had people that quit or you had people that transitioned to new jobs. We were assessed as the manager as the reason that person left. Yeah. The conversation has shifted to it's more clear that employees are most connected to their teams, not necessarily their the management systems. Right. And so building teams around employees and giving them ways to engage 
I think is what's going to help crack the quiet quitting Mm -hmm. issue. So I know that you have worked at a startup, obviously. Tree3 is a startup. You worked at smaller companies. You started your own company. And you've also worked at a company like Dell. Huge difference. What is the biggest differences that you see? And do you think that there are actually more similarities? Or do you think that they're like vastly different, like corporation versus startup world? They are vastly different in the decision-making process. They are similar in that you find that the way that you get things done is through other humans. Mm -hmm. So that similarity has been in every size of business that I've been a part of. And it's creating teams that team well together that have a shared interest in what you know what you're tr- attempting to solve and bring to whatever communities you're serving. So I think the human element transcends all, but it decision making I think is very different in startups as you are, you know, having to raise money, you are intentional about what every dollar's purpose is. And you are typically tied to an investor group or a shareholder group who is guiding you as well. And then I would say at a larger corporation, you typically have a little bit more autonomy. So as a business leader in a big company, you're given a P&L and a annual budget, and you are given the autonomy to go lead your teams to achieve not only the big corporate goals, but to achieve what your business unit goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there are accountability measures in both of those, but I think decision-making and probably your process to drive for results is the part that's different. Yeah, no, definitely. I, that's why I personally really love the startup culture because I like being able to everyone to have an input, everyone to have an input that gets seen. You know, you don't have to go through a bunch of layers to make decisions. Everyone, it just feels so much more like you feel more valuable of a player. But I know that corporations, obviously, you're working within a small team and it can have that smaller person feel too. But I think personally, if I have to go back to, you know, do something, I would definitely prefer a startup environment. Yeah, I'm, I am startup for life. Yeah. So lastly, before we leave, what would be your biggest advice for someone who is, you know, in the corporate world, wants to be a leader, like you had those dreams early on, how can they lean in? Like, how can they figure out their leadership style? How can they actually take leadership opportunities and do that and like become a leader, even if that's not necessarily where they are at this moment? I would say if you are plotting your path in your in your career, think of ways that you can go grab the most skills and the most experiences to add into your tool belt, because you will be able to find whatever your jobs that you're selecting are, that you can build a tool belt that will include skills and experiences that you can apply for future opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so that's where when your, your question earlier about employee engagement, you know, having job satisfaction for me as a leader in the corporate world was helping employees find their engagement tied to skills or experiences they were gaining in that current role. Mm -hmm. So finding satisfaction in overachieving their current metrics or over-delivering their project goals. And Mm -hmm. all of those things ladder, especially in the corporate space, to being seen as a promotable and a person that can be given more responsibility. So you naturally, by doing your job really well, you naturally get the attention of the next step or the next opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then I would say in the startup space, it's very similar. It's 
how do you take on, how do you remove friction from other team members? So that gets gives you an experience that while you may not have done that in your past, you're helping remove friction, you know, from teammates, which is always welcomed. Um, yeah. I think in the speed that we run in the startup world. No, a hundred percent. I totally agree. And I think that that's such good advice because so many people listening to this podcast are aspiring entrepreneurs or they're aspiring founders, but they're not there yet. And I think it's easy to be like, oh, if I'm not there now at 25, then I'm never going to be there where that's so not true. Like in your 20s, you do not need to have everything figured out. You don't need to know exactly where you're going to be, but you can start developing those skills wherever you are, like no matter what that looks like. So I think that's really important. But thank you so much, Katina, for coming on this podcast. This was such a good episode. I, it was great first in person in the makeshift studio. <laughs> the in-person vibes made this real, real. Yes. Thank you, oh, Natalie. I love that. <laughs> that. Uh, so where can they find you? Where can they find Tree3 and where can they sign up if they're creators? Absolutely. Come to tree3.com if you're a creator and just ask to start a storefront. We can launch a storefront for you in less than 24 hours and you can customize it and make it your own with your own branding. So find us there. Also follow us on Instagram, tree3.com. And we're thrilled to be here in this amazing creator economy along with Rella. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the Mom Room Podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood.